This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's June 11th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated and Pete Sampson from The Athletic. We are back in action here. Brian Kelly met with an assortment of the media earlier this week talking about bring the team back to the campus. He went through the whole litany of steps and stages that they'll go through in terms of testing and quarantining, et cetera. He addressed the Unity Council and uh, his Kelly Cares Foundation that he said will now look at helping to eradicate systemic racism and dealing. He also talked about dealing with his team and some of the issues there, uh, but, and also allowing the players to articulate their opinions on, on social media and the, the, the Notre Dame website. So guys, where do you want to start with Brian Kelly the other day and his conversation with us? And I thought the Kelly cares change was the biggest. I agree. Yeah, I, I, it's a really, it, I should surprise is the wrong word, I, but I was surprised. I think it's so, it's a proactive move in his own charity that it was already doing good. And to say, well, now part of my charity is going to change gears and do good for what is important in this realm. That's, that's not something I think a lot of coaches probably are going to do. A lot of coaches have charities out there, you know, and some of them are focused exactly on what they want them to be focused on, which makes sense. It's your money. <laughs> but this, I think that is a uh, kind of an altruistic move by Kelly. I like that uh, Notre Dame sort of backed its players, not just saying, hey, you can have a voice, but we're going to take your voice and amplify it through, you know, whether it be Braden Lindsay's essay on UND.com or, um, you know, taking statements from Dalen Hayes or Litchfield Ajavon or Alexander Harrisberger, even just, I think, yesterday, um, and amplifying those. I thought that was kind of cool because, I mean, Notre I, if you had told me that Notre Dame's social media accounts would be tweeting about Black Lives Matter, one year ago, I would have thought that you were absolutely insane. Um, so I, I think that sort of change in perspective and a, a willingness to listen um, to your players in a different way, I thought was was encouraging and, and kind of cool. Yeah, he had said, uh, I think it was with Van Pelt. I'm kind of mixing up the Van Pelt Tariko interviews, but and I quote him and I, and I brought it up to him the other day where he said, I failed as a leader in my platform to make any kind of change that was necessary to not let something like this continue to happen. And I followed up because I wondered, you know, did his players come to him and say, Hey, you're not doing this. And he said it, it wasn't that so much, but I, I appreciate and respected the perspective he was coming from because it was, it was more like, Hey, we need to be proactive as opposed to waiting for something bad to happen or waiting for something uh, being critical of the program before they react. And, and that's what he's doing. And as Pete said, there's a huge difference between not disallowing players to speak on social media and giving them a greater platform for it. I mean, you know, no, no one in their right mind is going to say you can't speak out on this because of course you can speak out on, you should be able to speak out on almost every topic. It's your social media platform, but they put it on their own. And that that's a big difference between you said Braden Lindsay's essay on UND.com. Well, it could have just been Braden Lindsay's essay on Twitter that Notre Dame ignored and they did the opposite of that. Right. Yeah, so I, I I like that that part of it. I thought was was powerful. I, I think it just showed a willingness to to kind of shut up and listen, which I, I think is one of a probably the most powerful first step that you could take if you're a an institution like Notre Dame or any other sort of major college football program. So the team is uh, filtering back to campus this week. Um, I don't know exactly when the last of the players will be in. That that, that actually could have been yesterday. I do know that. Um... Some players are leaving this weekend okay. um, because I think June 18th is the last arrival just from talking to one or two guys that are in the, and I, I don't know, they were both happen to be younger players. I don't know if it is because of that or if it's just the way they're phasing people back from different parts of the country or are you driving or are you flying and all those things, but I, we'll all be back by the middle of next week and, and that will be the final phase, I think. Yeah, Brian Kelly also talked about the potential of games moving out of the NFL stadiums, which would be disappointing. I mean, disappointing for us on on a couple of different levels, but it could be necessary because they have to split the gate with those um, stadiums, those franchises when they play there. Whereas if you go to a, a even with social distancing, you're not splitting the gate if you take it to one of the home uh, home stadiums. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. He also talked about a smaller playbook. I don't think too many people are going to be receptive to that and understand where he's coming from there because a lot of it has to do with just the building of fundamentals and repetition. And when you didn't get that in the spring, it just pushes everything back a little bit. 
when you think of that way, sorry, go ahead. Uh, example of that one is so last year, remember the, the defensive game plan against USC when they come out with three safeties. Sure. And, I mean, it looks something completely different than you've seen all season. It wasn't just like, oh, they're playing nickel or they're, or they're playing dime. It was just a completely fundamentally different defense. Clark Lee started installing that in mid-September because um, they knew how USC was built and what they're good at and sort of what the statistics showed that if you let them run the ball, they're actually less effective on offense than if you take away the big play in the pass game. I don't know how a similar situation could even play out this year. Like there's not going to be time to put in a completely different defensive system unique to starting in mid-September. So I think that's, I don't think it's, you're going to see a huge difference on a a week to week basis, but when it comes to some of those exotic looks and um, you know, changing things up specific to opponents, I, I think Notre Dame will probably have to be more vanilla in those instances. This is probably a question for Brian Kelly that he would not want to publicly answer, but wouldn't one way of doing that be you are redshirting a bunch of freshmen so you can teach everybody else the nuances you need specifically for the Clemson game? Does that make, you know what I'm saying? Where look, well, look, Clemson, we're, look we're, we're taking 25 guys and you're not involved in any of this stuff we're doing right now. And, and they become, they're not involved in it. You're not, they are just going fundamental work. They have nothing to do with your specific game plan for your one or two big tweaks. In your yeah, and by the time they get around to Clemson, I mean, I, I, I think everything will be caught up. But again, you're dealing with a first-time coordinator. You're dealing with a quarterback that uh, I had the numbers in front of me. I mean, you know, the three receivers that walked out the door, Komet, Fink, and Claypool had more than half of everything they did in the passing game. And then Book was not able to have that those extra 14 practices, you know, to de- develop a chemistry with what's going to be a very inexperienced young receiving core. So that's why I say I don't think people are going to be receptive to hear this because it's like, well, why? You're going to have the same amount of time in the, in the preseason. It's just a, it's a cumulative effect, and it may take a little while for the playbook to catch up, especially, I think, considering because you have Tommy Reese as a, as a first-time coordinator. Another thing that he talked about, no recruiting on campus, is expected. He would anticipate no recruiting on campus for the balance of the calendar year, uh, which scares a lot of fans on, on the outside. Yeah, I would say, uh, one, that's a huge blow uh, to Notre Dame. And I, I mean, I thought it was curious that Brian Kelly stayed away from the woe is me. Because, um, like, look, Notre Dame is getting hurt by this more than other programs based on their national uh, approach to recruiting out of necessity. But I would say if you're a season ticket holder and you're wondering, am I going to get in the game this fall? The answer is no, based on that recruiting answer. Because you can't tell me that Notre Dame is not – they're going to say – you're a four-star running back. You're not allowed to come on campus because we don't want to import whatever you're around. There is no way Notre Dame is then going to go like, yeah, but how about 25,000 season ticket holders from across the country? So I, I sort of looked at that recruiting thing as a, it's a recruiting blow, but also a pretty big tell about what Notre Dame's thinking from a, a fan perspective as well. Having never full-time covered recruiting, I can't tell you how many times I have heard the most important thing is getting him on campus. Yep. So I'm not going to forget. I, I'm not going to pretend like that's not a blow. That it, it's just everybody I've ever talked to and players you talk to fall in love with me on campus. It is it is a problem for through this calendar year. Well, and in a lot of instances, you 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 have to convince a guy to come to Notre Dame and make yeah. the sacrifices to come to Notre Dame. So you need every advantage that you can have, you know, with with your on campus visits. So I, I I agree. I mean that that's a blow to them, but it's look, it's the way it is, and you just have to deal with it, and you pick up the pieces. And you move on. Earlier this week, I, I did an interview with um, 24-7 Sports, um, Steve Wilfong, Barton Simmons, Alan True, to talk about what Nordin needs to do. What can they do to be better to get to the next level specifically to become a top five recruiting uh, program? And, uh, you know, a couple things were mentioned. Get an early start on recruiting, which apparently they are doing with 22 and 23. Um recruiting a getting a franchise quarterback which is what Barton Simmons emphasized which I thought was was interesting and then of course they all talked about Brian Kelly uh having to do more when it when it comes to going head-to-head with Ryan Day from Ohio State or or you know the Georgia program or the Alabama program uh he's not at that level there's no getting around that I mean it's like that was a big story that I wrote in January or February about okay what what does top five classes look like? And 
you know, I think they were going to struggle to get there if we were living in normal times. Um, the fact that we're you, your your best recruiting asset is your campus, and that's taken away from you. I I don't see any possible way for them to sort of climb that ladder. But um, I do. I mean, Brian Kelly being more involved is essential. I think he's done a pretty good job in these weird times of Zoom meetings and virtual visits of sort of connecting with players and families, but that's got to continue when things get back to normal too. Um, Cause I think in, in, it, the programs that are recruiting at the top five level are coaches who are maniacal recruiters. And I, you know, I think Brian Kelly does a good job. He's good in living rooms. Uh, he's, he's good in his office, but there's a, just a insanity to recruiting uh, that your day, you know, formerly Urban Meyer, Ed Orgeron, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, you know, Davo Sweeney, like to get to that level, you have to match that intensity. And that's, that's kind of one of those things that either you're wired that way or you're not. BK is tied into this point, but we went back and forth on a podcast previously saying that, you know, can Notre Dame get a top five class? And my point was, well, if you have Trevor Lawrence, who wins that game? Who wins the Clemson game? You just have Trevor Lawrence starting for Notre Dame at quarterback in that Cotton Bowl. I don't know. I think Notre Dame might have had a pretty good chance if they had they had to go, Clemson to just go out there with somebody else. Not even Ian Book. I, I don't want to put Ian Book on blast. No, anybody. Just yeah, put a regular every day. Kelly Bryant. They did switch to Kelly Bryant. Yeah, put Kelly Bryant out there. And Notre Dame has its best quarterback that they've had. I think you'd take your chances, right? Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, in a lot of respects, Notre Dame went toe-to-toe with them. I know it doesn't yeah, look like in this, you know. In the aftermath, very few people look at it that way. But um, in a lot of respects, they did. I mean, defensively, they held their own until they just couldn't yeah. get off the field anymore because the offense couldn't stay. Notre Dame offense couldn't stay on the field. Last thing I want to, I would like to address before we uh, head to our questions is that Notre Dame did get some good news in re- on the recruiting front. Ryan Barnes, uh, a corner that I absolutely loved the first time I saw his film and, and um, said on several occasions – this is a guy that they've they've got to get this guy, and they did. And he was, you know, he was trending towards Notre Dame the whole time, um, and and so he finally pulled the trigger with him and Philip Riley as a as a cornerback tandem with length. I think that's outstanding. I've said it before. I think Lorenzo Styles is a better corner. If there was some way they could end up putting him at corner with those two, uh, it would. It's probably been a long time since they would have added three corners of that caliber in a recruiting class. Yeah. I mean, I sort of view, I mean, styles has to play receiver based on receiver recruiting. Sure. But if you, right. if you're just, if Notre Dame is signing Barnes and Riley and like neither of these guys are top hundred prospects, but if they just signed those, like the same Riley Barnes every year for four straight years, I think they would be completely fine yes. at that position. Um, and that would be a massive change from where they are right now. Um, so I, it's a big step forward. I don't want to make it sound like they're even recruiting corners at the level of LSU and Alabama all of a sudden. That, but that's okay. Um, you just need to be recruiting corners at a higher level than you were. And like they've taken a big jump with, with Mike Mickens getting these two guys. This is an all recruiting piggyback to what you two are saying. But when Tim said tandem, that matters much more than you liking Ryan Barnes or Philip Riley because they have two of them. Pete mentioned Lorenzo Styles has to play wide receiver because of the wide receiver recruiting. There's another issue. It'd be great to be able to play Lorenzo Styles in his best yeah. position because you don't have a wide re- receiver recruiting issue heading into it. And getting those two every class, this is the healthiest they have been. It's 2021, not yet. 2021 since 2017. And you know why? In 2017, they had three guys from 16 two guys from 15, and Nick Watkins left over. That's why they were healthy. They were accumulating good players. One of them became great in Julian Love. You know, that doesn't always work out perfectly like that. But you cannot go with empty classes or all projects at cornerback because cornerback projects, when they don't work out, it gets kind of ugly. I mean, <laughs> that's now, not the position. It's like saying, well, we'll see if our guys can play offensive line. You know, it'll be fine. We'll figure it you're, out. You're right, Tim. And something that Irish Illustrated's Kevin Sinclair pointed out in a recent story, when you get corners of this caliber, now, you know, because you look at safety, okay, they, they've got yeah. to add guys. Now maybe you have, you have flexibility with a Ramon Henderson, um, Caleb Offer perhaps, although I think he's a corner. I think Clarence Lawrence is a – uh, Lewis is a, is a corner as well, but 
now you give yourself flexibility, kind of like you gave yourself flexibility at corner this year when you got Nick McLeod, which has a trickle-down effect and yeah. benefits the entire group of cornerbacks. We'll be back for segment two with questions from our readers burning up the boards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Segment two, burning up the boards from Irish Illustrated Insider. Our first question comes from efizzle34. Has Notre Dame consulted advice outside of government or state advice? All data suggests we are in the tail end of this virus and it has lost some strength, although a player still could test positive at some point. Any idea Notre Dame's plan in place should a player test positive? I mean, we know some of it. They'll be quarantined. They won't work out with the team. Um, I know on campus they have sort of designated, designated if you're quarantine rooms and designated if you're positive rooms. Um, it, but I don't know if this question is more about uh, if Ian Book goes down, how you know what happens at quarterback, um, or if Brian Kelly gets sick, what happens at head coach? Um, I mean, I think they have some a lot of protocols in place for the preseason, but in season, I think that gets a lot more complicated. I'm not, I'm not really sure how they handle that. Well, it clearly gets more complicated in season because you're going to bring 7,000 more people around them. I mean, they're, they're not quarantining them out of the classroom, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's a different situation once the season starts and it's not if an ordinary player tests positive at some point, one of the, one of the 105 players will test positive. If it's one of the walk-ons, they can easily, quarantine him away from the room because he doesn't have to come back until he's fully healthy. It's different than if it's Ian book or how about just the fact that there's 18 defensive linemen in the room together. Right. But if it's Kurt Heinisch and you have everybody gathering together at one position group, I mean, it's. Yeah, obviously it's difficult to answer some of these questions, you know, I mean, hypotheticals and, and Brian Kelly talked a lot about those hypotheticals because they have to plan for them. Uh, but uh, Cleveland Clinic and Johns Hopkins were two of the places that they did consult in addition to local and, and state government. Um, they've been working with a physician who's been at the forefront of everything that they've done in their, in their planning. So they are well-planned up to this point. Uh, and, and, you know, when something bad goes wrong, then that's, that's the next phase of it. Next from Wreckers 33 Hot, BK says he's moving forward with the expectation there will be no campus visits for recruits this cycle. How does that impact ND that is so dependent on showing off its campus? How can ND make the most of the situation? And should Notre Dame expect more decommits across college football this cycle with the speed and volume that commits have happened at other schools? I mean, on the second part, yeah, I think this will be a, a pretty heavy decommit cycle. Um, yeah. I don't know if Notre Dame is going to get dinged by that. Um, necessarily any more than anybody else. Um, but I mean, they are taking commits from guys who have never visited, which is a bit odd. Um, you know, that, that would always be a telltale sign of like that guy is on decommit watch. If, and that's only like, if somebody only visited once, I think he would be sort of viewed as like, Oh, that's a guy you got to keep an eye on. Um, now you've got guys with no visits at all. Philip Riley, um, you know, Ryan Barnes to maybe to a lesser extent since he's been to campus just sort of as a fan, but um, that's, it'll be difficult. And, and maybe that will work in Notre Dame's favor down the road when D commits at other schools start looking at Notre Dame again. I, I'm not really sure. I just think it's going to be a insane November and December when it comes to recruiting. You know, as it applies to the 11 guys that are verbally committed, Dave, David Aviara uh, still on that list um, you know, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily expect a, a, a greater departure of Notre Dame verbal commitments under the circumstances. I know not visiting plays a role, and we addressed that in the first half, that Notre Dame is a camp. Notre Dame is a place that you, you really, in a lot of instances, you really got to get that recruit to campus. Otherwise, uh, he doesn't have a full understanding of the culture and the environment, et cetera. So, um, you know, but – in general, you would think that if you have guys that are that are verbally committing across the country to schools that they haven't visited, uh, the the rate of departure is going to certainly increase. 
uh, need, like this name, need a turnover as uh, more talented cornerback, Cody Riggs or Nick McLeod? That's question number one. The best part of that is that it's a comparison. I think Pete said this about two podcasts ago. I can't believe we're talking about a graduate transfer at the position they needed that can start. It's not like they just decided to bring in Alex Wolfleck from Wake Forest again to help out as a backup <laughs> hunter. I mean, they got the one position they needed in a guy that if he doesn't start, will play as many reps as the starter. Uh, I really like Cody Riggs when he was here. I'm going to go with Riggs because I saw him make plays in, for Notre Dame for two months. But uh, the fact that you can make the comparison is important. Yeah, I mean, look, Riggs started at Florida. McLeod started at NC State, so I'm going to go with Florida. <laughs> and you saw him good at Notre Dame. I mean, you saw him yeah. come play. He made yeah. plays. Well, and they're, they're, they're different corners. I mean, uh, Riggs is a smaller, more of a cover corner. Not that McLeod can't cover, but McLeod's more of a boundary corner, going to get physical with the line of scrimmage, really going to help out in the run. Um, I don't I don't know which one's better. I think they're both – Riggs was good. I think Nick McLeod's going to be good for Notre Dame. The second part of the question, outside of Clemson, what team on the schedule is better in the trenches than Notre Dame? Well, they shouldn't be because if Notre Dame – you know, Lindy says Notre Dame has the number one offensive line. Athlons ranks the number five. Pro Football Focus has them second, I think, coming in. That'll be tweaked by their, by their measurables. The only thing you can say is – what does Wisconsin have up front against Notre Dame? But honestly, no one has a better game of the trenches if Notre Dame has the number one offensive line. I just don't know if they have the number one offensive line, right? Clemson's defensive line has taken – don't kill me when they are dominant. <laughs> They're not the Clemson defensive line that came into 2018 where you knew you had no shot whatsoever <laughs> against Clemson's defensive line. No, but we watched that whole season thinking, oh, my gosh. But that is the that. strength of their of the yeah. guys returning on defense. That is sure, where the strongest. It was four pros backed up by these four guys that are really good. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was like four and five-star guys that were juniors and seniors. Yeah, most right. seniors. Right. Now it's four and five-star guys that are sophomores and juniors with, like, a freshman or two thrown in there, too. Um, it was four guys. You were a holy cow. Why did he come back? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I – I mean, I think it's a good question because, no, the answer to the question is Notre Dame on paper has the best offense-defensive line combination among themselves and, and their 12 opponents. That's a good the offensive thing. Line, the offensive line has to win, has to put Notre Dame in the playoffs. It's on the offensive line and because they will make Ian Buck a better player too. Yeah, and, and for the right, Clemson, Clemson has to replace most of their offensive line. So. Right. I bet they have guys, though. That's the problem. They probably have a few players that can uh, step into the lineup and make sure they don't have to forfeit a game. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence won't be running for his life inviting pressure is what you're saying. Wash ND, <laughs> do you think Brian Kelly will ever figure out how to prevent the wheels falling off the wagon game that seems to happen every season? Well, um, <laughs> can I interject that it did not happen in three seasons at least? Did so, not, but, two, no. 2011, <laughs> depending upon what you mean by wheels fall off. I, well, that was South Florida. That happened. Oh, well, yeah, I was looking yeah. at uh, point differential, but I guess, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess you're right. They lost by 23 to Stanford in 2010, 28 to Alabama in 2012, 24 to Arizona State and 35 to USC, blah, blah, blah. You know. Um, yeah. I think Miami and Michigan are in people's minds, too. Right yeah, those, those, uh, those count, too. You know, the, the irony is that in 2016 – they lost to USC by 18. Their other seven losses were by a total of 32 points. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the wheels fell off the wagon when three and nine Michigan State came in. It was up 36 to seven at one point, though. Didn't feel like a good game right there, right? No. Nah, <laughs> I don't, it's like because I wouldn't even consider Alabama and Clemson as wheels falling off. Like those teams were just better. Right, right, right. Um, Navy. You know, Navy. Wheels fell off the wagon in 2010 against Navy. Yes. Um, but like the wheels fall off pretty much everywhere at least once. I mean, that's the wheel. Like if you look at Urban Meyer's run at Ohio State, I mean, he had the Purdue game where they got blown out at Purdue. They got destroyed by Iowa at Iowa. Yeah. Like it happens to teams more talented than Notre Dame against teams less talented than it's than the teams it's happened to against that have point. beaten Notre Dame. The issue is two of the last three losses that, I mean, 
Michigan and Miami are going to be there until Notre Dame goes back to the playoffs. That's what people just – Michigan was the last draw for a lot of people. Miami really made people mad. He bounced yeah. back from Miami by going to the playoffs. Then he did Michigan. So two th- they have to go back to the playoffs, and people will forget about wheels falling off the wagon every single time. Every single game they fall off. <laughs> Question from Greg Bell. With the Big Ten and Pac-12 toying with conference-only schedules, do you see the Wisconsin, Stanford, and USC games happening? If not – what other schools would serve as potential replacements? ACC schools, MAC schools, fellow independents? We don't have anything definitive on this, that's for sure. If it's fellow independents circa the early 1990s, we can have a heck of a schedule to watch with Penn State and Florida State and Miami and stuff like that. But if it's fellow independents, that's kind of disappointing. I would, I would assume if – let's say this had to happen for some reason. I don't think it will. But ACC schools, right, With the, when they're facing a – well. Buy or a, a FCS team? Or they just don't play that game if it's – Well, the, it, one, the one independent that would make sense, just looking at the schedule, is sure. that Stanford plays BYU. Yeah. On November 28th when Notre Dame would be scheduled to play USC. So that potentially could work, Notre Dame-BYU, just from a scheduling standpoint. That's at Notre Dame. Right at Notre Dame. Do you think it would be at Notre Dame? I think they owe BYU, don't they? Haven't they? Yeah, they they have, I'm sure they still owe BYU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get that out of the way. I don't. I don't know. I mean, sort of talking to people around the university this week, I get the sense that Wisconsin is almost certainly going to move to Notre Dame. But like, I this week I had heard some optimism that like U.S. and Stanford were going to happen. Um, that you know, there that that was moving in a good direction. That okay, that's all the way there. I'm not. That's the first. That, but it was. Good. That's the first positive news I've heard about that. Yeah, Tim, you did hear a couple months ago that I will be out of the USC game, whether it happens or not. That so this is the second positive news <laughs> you've heard about this. I plan. Oh, you'll be, be there, there, whether the game's no played or not. I will you'll be, be there. checking into what's the yeah. new name of the hotel? The, the West Strip. I'll be there. The West. Yeah. <laughs> O'Malley, where are you? I'm at the West Strip. <laughs> The game's being played at BYU. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Just like Charlotte, Winston-Salem. I mean, right. <laughs> I won't pretend to... to drive there, though. I'll just stay. <laughs> I'm not Terry sure. Benedict. I'm not sure everybody remembers that story, but. Yeah, Pete uh, yeah, go on ahead. a podcast said something about booking his flight to Charlotte, and I just kind of looked at him, and I was staring at my not, screen. Not for this game. Not for not this for the, No, this, this is for the. The 2017 game, and I'm staring at the screen, and I was like, "Why did you fly to Charlotte?" He's like, "The game's played in Charlotte," and I'm looking at the Notre Dame schedule on my screen, and he has what was a funny line. Had he been right, he goes, "It's right in front of you. Just read the page." And I was like, "I'm reading the page, and it doesn't say Charlotte." So Pete flew to Charlotte for a game, not in Charlotte. Yeah. So that's okay. Now you're going to Charlotte, hopefully. Terry Benedict, yeah. what was a bigger loss, Will Shipley, or the possibility of losing the ability to get recruits on campus? Uh, the second one by a lot. <laughs> I know, you know, I'm not, I mean, I guess I can look, you can look at this a couple different ways. I mean, I think, and I, and I agree. I mean, we all said that it, it, it'll hurt Notre Dame, um, you know, but if, but if other schools aren't getting players to campus, I know it has a, a lesser effect, but I think I'd go ahead and take Will Shipley. <laughs> And then just get whoever and just fight, Yeah, I mean, everybody else is having – they can't get people on campus either, so take Will Shipley and – Get a bunch of three stars anyway, right? What's that, yeah. <laughs> that was for people listening. Although I don't I, really I, believe I, those things. I, was I never believed that Will Shipley was a five-star. I think he's a very high four-star. I think he's a very good player. But I didn't think Gunnar Keel was a five-star either, and boy, did he prove that. <laughs> Jim. Jim underscore Booney underscore CRA. What's more likely? Andy's offensive line living up to his highly regarded expectation or landing Rocco Spindler? Pete, go ahead. You know, I mean, Spindler today came out and said, like, I'm just so everyone knows for real, I'm taking all five official visits. Um, so it's, that's going to go on for a while to take him at his word. Um, you know, I feel like it's probably still getting Spindler. Um, 
Because, like, what are the expectations for Notre Dame's offensive line? They're like Joe Moore award levels, which is pretty tough um, on a line that doesn't have Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey. There's no – I don't think there's a Ronnie Stanley or a Nick Martin in this group. Uh, there's not a Zach Martin in this group. Um, I think it's – the line is, is good. Like, they have a bunch of good players, but the expectation is that they're going to be great – I'm not sure they're going to get to like greatness levels, um, but I feel semi-decent they're going to get Rocco Spindler in the end. How about this piggyback question? Are they related? If Notre Dame's offensive line lives up to yes. expectations, yes. are they related? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly what I was going to say. That if, if one happens, the other will definitely happen. Now I would agree with, I would agree with Pete that Spindler is more likely to happen. Hearing that he's going to take all five visits, which will happen in the fall, that lessens Notre Dame's chance, I guess, to a large degree. But you have six returning off starting offensive linemen. There's there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to put something together, especially against some fronts that I think that they're going to have some success against. I think they will kill plenty of teams, but living up to expectations means they are the reason Notre Dame beats Wisconsin and they they win or draw even versus Clemson to allow them to beat Clemson. That's, that's living up to expectations. They rush for 150 yards against Clemson and book throws for 280. And it has nothing to do with, with you can lose a football game and not say our offensive line got killed. Right. Mm-hmm. If they have to, they have to be the one of the two best units on the field against Clemson. I mean, it's hard. Trevor Lawrence is there. So it's kind of difficult to say that, but you can't have Trevor Lawrence and Clemson's defensive line overrunning Notre Dame's offensive line. In that game. Then, then there's no shot. And even when they've been at their best, they've had some games, you know, even yeah. under Harry he stand. Oh, sure. That's... I know there's a lot of revisionist history a lot of times in comparing he stand to Quinn. But as we all know, there were games where Harry he stands offensive line didn't show up. And, and again, you know, that's not a, a lot has to do with play calling and what the defense is doing. It's not always just on on him. But you see where I'm going with that. Dan underscore Brian 21, given the grad transfers Notre Dame got this year, could they find themselves in a market for a grad transfer, grad transfer quarterback for the 2021 season? They could. I mean, I, I think that the, the byproduct of no visits on campus and the impact that's going to have on this current class is probably going to lead to more grad transfers, like maybe another four grad transfers a year from now. Yeah. Um, because I, I don't think they're going to get a great evaluation on that class since it's going to be difficult to recruit it. But I think that they have shown a, an ability to go out and scout the the waiver wire, so to speak, for grad transfers. So that that could mean a quarterback in 2021. Um, you know, maybe some of that has to do with what they see from Brendan Clark and Drew Prine this year. But I I would definitely keep my eyes open if I was Notre Dame. I would I would be willing to take somebody on. Um, and I'd be upfront about my quarterbacks now, just like this is a possibility. So just be prepared for it. So you're a Notre Dame team in 2021, and I've been building talent. Kyle Hamilton's a junior there, junior All American. You have a lot of good players, but you lose Book. And um, you still return, you'll probably be returning three starting offensive linemen plus guys that are ready. So do you want to start your season at Florida State on Labor Day with Brendan Clark, Drew Pine, or true freshman early enrollee Tyler Buckner's first start or do you want a guy that would be a I'm just going to throw names out there because of good, they're good players that grad transferred you would rather have JT Daniels as your quarterback for that game yes <laughs> no that's but would you rather have KJ Costello uh I'll, yes but you wouldn't rather have Chase Bryce mm-hmm. these are all grad transfers this last offseason right I mean I don't I don't know if I want the the guy that just makes you not lose that game, come in and start if you could just have developed either Brendan Clark or Pine or Buckner in the amount of time. Um, but I, I'm with you, Pete. Like if you say uh, the best grad transfer next year wants to go to Notre Dame. Jamie Newman wanted to come into Notre Dame. Yes. Right. Pull the trigger on that one. Exactly. But there's not, it's not just, I don't, I, I think I'd go with my talent I've developed and the guy coming in over the guy you don't want to start all year for you. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like if they, if Notre Dame starting quarterback in 2021 is the equivalent of Kelly Bryant, that would be pretty disappointing. Um, you know, if it was Jamie Newman, I'd feel a little bit differently, right. but I think you gotta, if you're Notre Dame, you gotta get a, this, you have to get a good read on Clark and Pine this year to, yeah. to 
and what you have and what you don't. Um, yeah, and I think Buckner is a guess, but that's that's true for all freshmen. Yeah, he's a five star guess, and then normally, <coughs> or a high four star, however you want to rank him. Yeah, and Notre Dame's normally not in that situation. Um, yeah, if it was anybody but Buckner, you know, a guy that's been committed forever, a guy that there's certainly been talk around the program that there's the chance that when he comes in, he's the starting quarterback. Um, you know, Brendan Clark, I don't know exactly how high his talent level is, but they love everything about his compete level. Um, so it's an interesting question. Um, JT Daniels, Jess, yes. Newman, I, I think that was relevant. Yes. Those are the type of guys that. We, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it would have to be somebody of that, that caliber Costello who I we loved. Right. And then he really kind of fell out of favor after suffering injuries, but you know, does it does it set a, a, a precedent for your quarterback room moving forward that's, that you don't want to have to deal with? I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. And the caliber of quarterbacks that you guys are talking about, you got to stand up and take notice if, that, if that's a possibility. Question from Denver Maximus. There is a ton of hype about Notre Dame's offensive line this year. Some experts rank it as the best in college football. Do you agree? I feel the play of the offensive line will be judged on two games, fair or unfair, Wisconsin and Clemson, what makes you believe that there will be a be more of a nastiness to this unit and not as many stuffs? I clearly agree with the second statement. I feel the play of the offensive line will be judged on two games, fair or unfair. We talk about that a lot. Um, same with Ian Book. I think it's fair, by the way. But... I do too. Yeah, well, especially with six. Yeah. Six. This, is your, this is your lineup. I mean, don't we judge other teams on how they play Notre Dame? The other fans, they, they care how JT Daniels does against Notre Dame, right? Not Oregon State. Um, I I don't agree because I have to assume other offensive lines have risen to the occasion against the best lines they face more often. So I have to see it from Notre Dame. I, I, could, I believe I could see it, that they could be the best. But they haven't been close to that in the last two years, so... They were the best three years ago. They were the best three years ago. They had, but they still had a terrible game. But uh, as Pete said, do you do you see the pros, the high level pros, that makes you think they give me the best? And, yeah, I, do, I don't. Um, you know, in terms of the, the nastiness and the not as many stuffs. I mean, the stuffs could be a play calling uh, solution as much as an offensive line execution issue. Um, the nastiness, I I think it's. I understand that's what people want from an offensive lineman. I just, I'm not sure how you just create that if it wasn't there already. Like Quentin Nelson was an ass kicker when he showed up. It's not like he just became one in 2017. Um, so I, I'm not sure if I look at Notre Dame's offensive line and see like these guys are just going to destroy people on the field. Like I think Liam Meikenberg is kind of wired that way. Um, yeah, I did too. Ainsy maybe less so, um, but Beyond that, I, I don't I don't see a, a Quentin Nelson person out in the group, which is, you know, not to say that these guys aren't tough and mean, but like, you know, the nastiness is like that's at a different level. And I, I if Notre Dame is just fundamentally sound and plays good football, great. I don't care if they're uh, choke slamming people like Quentin Nelson did. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The, the 114 career starts means more to me than speculating about an increase of nastiness and in terms of nastiness and Quentin Nelson. And I'm not saying that this guy is that, but I think Rocco Spindler takes you in that direction. I think that he's that kind of player. Um, But I, you know, it's hard for me to say best in the country. Yeah. Um, Ohio state will be competing for that. Alabama will be competing for that. Oklahoma will be competing for that. They're always competing for that. Right. Right. And, and I mean, and that's where the speculation is right now. Those are among the best in the country, Wisconsin. I see Wisconsin on top 10 list. That's just based upon reputation because they lost people there, including their best player, their center who left early. Important follow-up though, is um, every team gets a lot of stuffs these days. It's kind of the way football is. It's, it's, balancing third that one. with third and fourth and one yeah third and fourth and one don't get stuffed and you know josh adams got stuffed 72 74 times in 2017 the other thing was he had 40 runs of over 20 yards so stuff me all you want i just ripped off an 84 yard touchdown run you know that's what guys like not to compare the two players but 
I remember I, I studied Ohio State stuff, and so they had something like they suffered in 75 runs against Indiana, 41 stuffs against wow. Indiana. But Ezekiel Elliott had 265 yards <laughs> rushing. So did it really matter that they got stuffed a bunch of times? <laughs> you put a game breaker back there, he can lose yards once in a while. Yeah, it's, you know, on the, I don't know if you guys look at football outsiders, but they do some interesting offensive line uh, data. And it's uh, one, they do sort of five categories. One's power success rate, which is just like if it's third one, can you pick it up on the ground? Yeah. Notre Dame ranked 23rd in 2018 in that, and they ranked 106 last year. Uh, and then stuff rate, which is exactly what O'Malley you would think it would be. Uh, in 2018, Notre Dame, well, in 2017, they ranked 22nd nationally in stuff, right? That's good. You want to be closer to the first. In 2018, they ranked 121st, which is god-awful. It's like that's at the bottom of the sport. Uh, and last year, they were 70th, so below average, but not a lot below yeah. average. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of room for improvement in those areas. Next question, and I'm going to mess up your name, ma'am or sir. ACO Luce, Acolos, how do you guys want to say that? I don't anyway, know. That's why I wanted you to do it. Thank you. Would Mike Elston be a good defensive coordinator? I'd like to interject yes. And which of the redshirt freshman linebackers are you most excited for? Um, I'd like to answer the second part first. And just to, to list the guys, Maris Leofau, uh, Jack Kaiser, Osita Kwanu, and J.D. Bertrand are the four. Am I missing anybody there? I don't think I am. The four no, that's redshirt freshman linebackers. Huh, most of... <sighs> I know. I think Clark Lee would say Kaiser, um, and I would say either Bertrand or Leofau. I, I love what Leofau brings athletically. Um, Bertrand, I guess we don't really know yet, but I'm I'm optimistic about him as a Mike linebacker. I know he, he got he was looking he got to look at Buck linebacker during the one spring practice. I think as a Mike linebacker, if Drew White can be an effective Mike linebacker, which I think he was last year and will be again this year. J.D. Bertrand can be an effective Mike linebacker for Notre Dame. I'd say yes on Mike Elston. I think he could be an effective oh. defensive coordinator. Um, he was. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say Harris Leifau is the, is the guy that I want to see the most because I just think the way he's put together is somewhat unique. And you go look at Notre track record of the guys they've signed out of Hawaii have all overachieved. Um, I don't know why that necessarily is, but that – sort of portends well that uh, Maris Leifau will as well. And if he does, I think he could be a really dynamic uh, college football player as an upperclassman. I don't know, and I want I want this to be taken in the spirit that it's offered. I, I don't know that Mike Elston would be, is the question good? Good defensive coordinator. He would be a good defensive coordinator. Um, he's an outstanding defensive line coach. But, I mean, those are two different things. And remember, when he stepped in in a bad situation – he ran very fundamental, basic defense, keep the football in front of you. And I'm not sure what kind of defensive coordinator he would be with that regard. And I don't think that you can, in today's game, I think it's very difficult to be successful as a defensive coordinator on a yearly basis, being a keep the football in front of you defensive coordinator. He had to do that though, right? I mean, he was, of course. he rotated. No, I'm not questioning yeah. whether he should have or not. Three freshmen with corners at the time. Sure. They didn't have a safety that could make a play on the campus. I think he kind of had to, he had right, the, you he have he no had proof to of what could go things. Yeah. I, I agree with that. But can, can he call a game like Clark Lee was able to call a game pretty much from day one? I, I'm not sure. And I'm not... <laughs> Like I like and respect and appreciate the job that Mike Elson has done as a defensive line coach. I just I don't know that that translates as a defensive coordinator. Pete, what what leads you to say that that he would be? I think that you know working with Mike Elko and Clark Lee for the last three years probably helps a lot. Um, sure, you've sort of seen a, a new inventory and a new style of defense and a new way to teach it that I think would be beneficial uh, to him. You know, it's like that I. Did we know Clark Lee was going to be a good DC when he got promoted? I didn't. Um, certainly not at the level that he's turned into, but like that was a big risk. Um, I would think that there would be more certainty about Mike Elston, Mike Elston being a good DC. If he got promoted next year than there was when Clark Lee was hired two years ago or promoted two years ago, I should say. 
Uh, question for B-Man underscore 2017. What do you make of Wisconsin being fourth in ESPN's preseason FPI? Are they really that good? Before anyone rips on Wisconsin's FPI, I mean, I'm ranking on ESPN's system. Notre Dame was fourth in 2018 in the preseason. Excellent. The same thing I was going to say. Yeah, they have not uh, – I'm not saying it's infallible, but it does take into – FPI takes into account your schedule. Um, what you have coming back, what you lost, and the statistics around it. So while four seems high, I would not guess Clemson is the fourth best. I mean, Wisconsin is the fourth best team coming into the season. But when I saw that in 2018 about Notre Dame, when they lost Nelson and McGlinchey, to name a couple, plus some other players, Equinemius St. Brown um, and Josh Adams, I thought Notre Dame is number four. That was, that was my exact reaction. And you know where Notre Dame, Notre Dame finished number three? Yeah, I mean, their their schedule is. You could look at it and be like, "Oh, okay, they're going to probably they're those almost certainly play in the Big Ten championship game." Um, you know, they go to Michigan. If the game's in Lambeau, they sort of get Notre Dame at home. Uh, you know, I might feel differently if I if we knew the game was being played in South Bend. You know, the rest of the schedule is IU, Southern Illinois, App State, Minnesota at home, Maryland, doesn't matter where you play, Illinois, Northwestern, Purdue, Nebraska, and they go to Iowa at the end of the year. Um, I mean, Ohio State, or they were competitive against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game for a while. I mean, they were, I believe they were leaving the game in the second half. So I wouldn't, I get it. I mean, from a schedule perspective, they don't get Ohio state in the regular season. And then, then you have to sort of beat them once in uh, the big 10 championship game. Yeah. Uh, crossover to the other division. They don't play Ohio state. They don't play Penn state. Right. Yeah. I mean, Penn state's a potential top 10 top They're They're a playoff contending team this year. So those are two very key omissions. They don't play Rutgers, Indiana, which I guess hurts them that they don't um, play those two, but yeah. The FPI has been pretty good. They were good last year. Um, so we shall see about that. But they lost a 6,000-yard running back, a, a, a great wide receiver that yeah, was drafted, an outstanding center, and two outstanding linebackers. So, I mean, they lost. They didn't lose a ton, but what they lost was was really significant. Final question is from Bortz19. Any news yet on the media's access to the team, both for the summer and in season? Just a suggestion. Have BK stand on his balcony at the Goog and shout answers down to a plethora of gathered media on the ground like Mussolini. <laughs> Holding court. It's, it's a perfect – I mean, the setup for there is perfect for that. Um, we, don't, we don't know yet, uh, That which took me back to – my conversation with Swarbrick about Jack Swarbrick about what are you going to do with the media? And he said, yeah, what are we going to do with <laughs> you guys? So we don't, we don't know exactly, but I did speak you with loved him a softball. With that one. Yeah. That was- <laughs> um, I did speak with, let me give you some uh, Navy stadium statistics. There are a grand total of 64 seats in the press box. Uh, be- with social distancing, they will reduce that to 32. Eight of those seats will go to Navy personnel, which leaves 24 seats for the media for the Notre Dame Navy game. So that gives you an idea of what we're dealing with that situation. A lot will depend upon whether the games end up being played. The other games end up being played in NFL stadiums. There's plenty of room in NFL stadiums for maximum social distancing. And I dare say that the press box at Navy with, uh, you know, one seat in between and 32 seats. I don't think there's going to actually be a whole lot of social distancing going on there, but that's the best that they can do. So that's just one example. That's the first situation that we'll be dealing with. I wouldn't think that there's going to be an issue at Notre Dame. Um, So if the Wisconsin game is moved to Notre Dame stadium, that's seven of the 12 games there. And then again, depending upon what happens with the NFL stadiums. I do think he's kind of wondering about practice. Don't you Pete? Oh, pr- practice, I don't think we're going to get in. I asked about that. Um, yeah, that, I mean, we can we can zoom. That that can be, yes, he was asking about that. I, I apologize for that. Um, I, I, think we can, I think we can deal with that. Yeah, I thought that, I mean, Brian Kelly had a sort of a Zoom conference call on Tuesday, and it was sort of, you know, the media was sort of asked questions in alphabetical order. 
you know, I thought that was basically fine. Um, you know, if you do some version of that moving forward, I think it's pretty easy to do. Brian Kelly can do it on his phone. Um, yeah, that, I think that would be, that would probably be the way to, to make that happen. It's you know, technology's there to, to be safe about it. I think in the spirit of the question, we should watch practices from the balcony. And then when they're done, we should shout down questions to Brian Kelly. He has to stand there and answer them for all of us. And maybe some of the coordinators and assistants too. Just what we saw, what we believe to be working and what's not working. Yeah. Oh, they could practice in the stadium and everyone can get their own section. Yes. <laughs> and the setup in the new practice facility is really, really good. But again, we don't know. I think I said this in a previous uh, podcast. Are they going, are they going to take our temperature when we walk into one of their facilities? Um, Will they want to test us at one? Any? Pardon me. I mean, I don't think they'll use the new facility a whole lot because Brian Kelly said it himself. Like, if you're inside working out, you have masks. If you're outside, you don't. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Be outside. I think. I, yeah. To me, that's kind of a no-brainer. So I think. I mean, to answer, I think this remains to be seen. Now, access to the players—that—that's a little. I mean, you can still you can still do Zoom, but I mean, just the 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 specifics of it and the timing of it after practices, et cetera, I think is going to be difficult. There are a lot of questions, man, that we just, we don't, we don't have answers to. And I, I think in a lot of instances, Notre Dame's not going to have an answer to them until we're in that situation. I think they'll have a plan for everything, but we won't know exactly, um, you know, how it's all going to work out until we, we, we get in that situation. So, um, we would anticipate now, not that, not that we're necessarily going to be getting a ton of news fed to us as they, as the players start checking into Notre Dame and, you know, like we're not, I don't think we're going to get quarantine reports here the, the next couple of weeks. So how are they doing in quarantine? Uh, we're not really sure, but as we get closer to the season, our, the pace of our, our podcast will certainly pick up and we appreciate you joining us here on Thursday, June 12th. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Irish Illustrated. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.